Theatrical Shenanigans with Deborah A. Cole. Hello, greetings and welcome to the penultimate episode of Theatrical Shenanigans. Eight episodes have been and gone, but we still have two more for you to enjoy. As with the last eight episodes, I am still Rachel Feeney-Williams, reaching out to you from my little corner of Devon to provide audio plays from playwrights all across the world, and then have conversations about said plays with some fascinating guests. Speaking of fascinating guests, my next guest is no stranger to theatrical shenanigans as she has already appeared as an actress in the comedy Monday, Tuesday, Friday by Greg Hatfield that we had in episode two. And she's also the playwright of the brilliantly hard-hitting piece Stalk Patrol from episode four. And now she joins me as a guest. She is the brilliant Deborah Cole. Welcome, Deborah. Wow, that's a that's a heck of an intro. Glad to be here. <laughs> well, I say it's entirely deserved. Wow, wow. I'm going to have to write that down, you know, and put it on my CV somehow. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty good stuff. This, this is a, a hat trick for you. So first as a performer and then as a playwright and now as a guest. Um, I suppose, have you enjoyed being part of the theatrical shenanigans experience? Oh, yes. Please include me in the future in anything <laughs> you do. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm here for you. It's a pleasure to, to have you with us. So of the, I suppose, moments in your career, of which obviously there are many, do you have a particular standout moment for yourself? Um, I I just get excited anytime anyone uses my work, reads it, performs it, does anything, reviews it. Um, one of my favorites was um, I had a piece, I have a piece called The Wrinkle Ranch, <laughs> and it was part of Short and Sweet in Perth, Australia, and it took first for audience favorites so that oh wow critics great do what you needed to do but when an audience votes at yeah. first that's that's a big deal because that's who you write for you want to impact people and, and make them feel something and I I think they laughed so I'll take it yeah most definitely so what drew you to the world of playwriting and being involved in the many projects and organizations that you have been because your CV is literally longer than my arm so Oh my gosh. Well, I love to write. So that's why it's long, which is good. Um, what got me started? I was in theater as a kid. I, you know, that I wrote plays as a kid. I used to do them in the backyard with puppets and I used to charge neighbor kids and my, the neighborhood finally told my mom that I had to stop charging kids. They were using all of their allowance to come to my <laughs> plays in the backyard. So that's kind of when it started, but I didn't really get back into it until actually um, I was in theater. I taught, I taught writing, I taught playwriting and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I really got head first back into it once my daughter went off to college and I kind of thought, what do I want to do? Right. What do I yeah. want to do? And I started writing every day and I took something I did occasionally and made it into something that I'm so passionate about that it's a part of my life every day. Which is what you kind of did with Stalk Patrol. It was something that kind of heated um at your core I suppose which I'm not surprised at in, in the slightest oh. oh I was hot I was mad I'm still mad um I still fight and I fought through words and through actions that was all I could do so I'll I'll do what I can well, so as long as people are, are doing what they can that's that's all that matters um at least in my opinion anyway well I think everyone <laughs> just needs to speak their truth and, and support support people that uh, maybe have it differently than they do and, and see it through yeah. different eyes I think that's a big part of it is just to put get outside of yourself and see see how it affects other humans. Mm. So now that we've had the passionate introduction to our guests, it's time to introduce this week's playwright. 
This week's play was written by Lynn Robinson, who studied at the Mountview Academy of Theatre Arts in London. She has a wonderful collection of plays, in addition to an anthology of short sinister stories and twisted tales entitled Flesh and Blood. Her collection of plays have travelled right across the country through fringe festivals and theatre trails, and most recently she won the John Clark Memorial Award for Best New Script, so another playwright with an extensive list of successes. The play for this week is entitled The Front Line and depicts an interview conducted for a prison officer's role. Now, I've never had to conduct a job interview before, but I think any interviewer would find themselves concerned by some of Jason's responses here. Theatrical Shenanigans presents The Front Line by Lynn Robinson. Jason, isn't it? Do come in. Take a seat. I'm Mrs Davidson. Yes, hi. Nice to meet you. Right. Well, thank you for coming today. It's just me interviewing in this first round. I'll be shortlisting from all of today's applicants. If you are successful today, you'll be invited to sit the online prison officer selection test. And from there, if successful, you'll advance to the next stage. All right, Jason? Yep, yep, sounds good. Great. Quite simply, I just have a checklist of questions that we ask all the candidates. Are you ready? Yep, yep, fire away. Okay. So, first of all, Jason, tell me why you applied for the post. Why do you want to be a prison officer? Well, to be honest, Miss Davidson, I'm looking for a fresh start, so to speak. And I thought this sounded the perfect job for me. I see. You say you're looking for a fresh start. Can I ask why? I see your last job was as a police community support officer and you've stated your reason for leaving as community policing wasn't for me. Do you want to tell me a bit about that? Oh yeah, yeah. Pretty nasty experience on my last day. Actually, I think I've got PTSD now. Oh dear. I'm so sorry to hear that. Well... Tell me why you think being a prison officer is the... Yeah, really nasty experience. Shame really, you know, because when I got the job, oh, I was very pleased with myself. I'm I'm sure you were. A fantastic opportunity to... To be honest with you, I just wanted to wear the uniform. I felt really important, you know, walking out in my protective, high-visibility body armour vest. I was someone you needed to take notice of. Someone with authority. Right. I see... Well, yes, wearing a uniform can promote one's self-confidence, naturally, and still a certain sense of pride in one's position. However, just picking up on some of your language choices there, you say that you felt you were someone that needed to be taken... The radio, of course, were a particular highlight. Airwave Terminal 1, I believe is the correct term, you know, for communicating with colleagues in the control room. I really loved using that, doing that whole talking into it with your shoulder raised and your head bending down onto one side. Know what I mean? Right. Um, let's move on to question number two, shall we? Oh, do prison officers carry radios, Mrs Davidson? Question number two. 
The daily life of a prison officer is extremely difficult, as they will often have to react quickly and remain calm in high-pressured and difficult situations. Have you ever found yourself in a high-pressured and or difficult situation? And if so, how did you deal with it? Right, well you know that nasty experience I was telling you about? Yes. Well, right there, one of the most high-pressured and difficult situations I've ever found myself in. Can you elaborate? That is, if, if you don't find it too upsetting, Jason. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Davidson. I think I'll be all right. You see, there was some aggravation on the Birchill estate. We, the PCSOs, were to keep a high profile down there because, well, you know, our job is to work within an SNT. Oh, that's a safer neighbourhood team for you, Mrs. Davidson. Yes, thank you. I, I'm aware so, of... So, Sarge tells us we have to go and patrol this estate. We have to tackle the antisocial behaviour that's spreading down there. He wants us to gather criminal intelligence on certain individuals to support frontline policing. I'm thinking, what? No way, man. I'm not going down there. You know the place I'm talking about. Yeah, that's suicide. Well, you know what they think of PCSOs? Plastic policemen. They think we're a joke. You know, they ignore us. Could you just get to the part that was high-pressured and or a difficult situation? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm getting there. Anyway, off we go, down to the front line, so to speak. Well, hell, hell let loose down there, man. So I'm thinking, forget supporting frontline policing, just hang back, look after number one. So there I am, keeping a safe distance behind the angry mob, my incapacitant spray primed, ready to go in one hand. I've been itching to use it on someone. Incapacitant spray? I didn't think PCSOs were allowed to carry that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. PCSOs are not allowed to have that. But I managed to get my hands on something because, well, you know, why shouldn't we be able to protect ourselves? Right, Mrs Davidson? So you illegally carried a riot control agent, ignoring the clear and explicit guidelines... Oh, absolutely too right, yeah. Where was I? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So I acquired a stash of this riot control agent. Really keen to see it in action. Apparently, there's a burning sensation in the eyes, nose, mouth, throat. You can't open your eyes. And profuse coughing, it said. Oh, I was quite keen to get a look at the uh, mucous nasal discharge. After all that, you can't breathe properly. You get pretty disoriented. And therefore, incapacitated, I suppose. <laughs> cool, right? So, really keen to give it a go. Now, if I could ask you a question, Mrs Davidson. Of course. Do prison officers carry handcuffs? Look... Jason, perhaps we should move on to question number three. I just don't understand why they don't give PCSOs handcuffs. What's that all about? I mean, come on, how is anyone going to take PCSOs seriously as an embodiment of law and order when they don't even carry handcuffs? I'm pretty sure that PCSOs can carry handcuffs if granted permission by their force. Perhaps there was a reason why you were not granted this permission, Jason? What about batons for prison officers? Those uh, retractable batons, uh, ASPs, I think they're called. Yeah, would I get one of those? Or leg restraints, perhaps, in the absence of permitted handcuffs? Question number three, then. Hold on, hold on. I haven't finished explaining about my traumatic experience, Mrs Davidson. I'm just getting to the uh, high-pressured and or difficult situation part. Never mind that now, Jason. We're running out of time. So, question... So, suddenly, the angry mob charging around the corner like a herd of stampeding buffalo. I mean, they're snorting, bellowing, coming right at me. Well, talk about lamb to the slaughter, Mrs Davidson. Honestly, I really thought my chips were up, man. You know what I mean. Yes. I 
can see how that was a high-pressured and difficult situation to find yourself in, Jason. So, how did you deal with it? Well, I hid under the van, didn't I? You hid under the... I mean, it probably saved my life. I positioned myself centrally beneath the van as I could, head of arms reach, so to speak. Oh, but then they're on me, arms, hands, sticks coming in from all directions, trying to grab hold of me. The regression is terrifying, tangible, you know what I'm saying? Of course, I... I did panic at that point. Well, oh, you would, wouldn't you? I, I, I see. And that's what brought on your PTSD? Hiding under the van? What would have been a better approach? So, I just start spraying, Mrs. Davidson. Just let rip it was glorious. They all start coughing and wheezing. <laughs> and then, thank God, retreating. I got them all, I think, because they all disappeared. Anyway, suppose I must have been under there for a couple of hours, I reckon, before it all quietened down, felt safe enough to slide out. Right. Well, thank you very much for coming in today, Jason. We'll be in touch at the end of the week to let you know your results. Right, you are, Mr. Davidson. Thank you very much. Uh, just one question before I go. If I'm not successful today, I was thinking of the Territorial Army. Do you know where the TAs are allowed to carry guns? Well, I can safely say Jason is not getting that job. That was Warwick Bassett as Jason and Caroline Fantosi as Mrs Davidson in The Front Line by Lynn Robinson. Deborah, first impressions, first thoughts? First of all, just listening to Warwick makes my day any day. I'll take Warwick <laughs> as an actor any day. Love that guy. Love what he brings to characters. Um, my first thought is, what a different experience listening to it as an American than probably a Brit, right? Because yes. that was my very first impression was, oh, wow, what an interesting perspective. Because uh, while there's similarities, there are big differences in our policing that was the main reason why i wanted to have um an american as a guest the idea of um excessive force and police brutality is a bigger thing over in the states than it is um over here so i did kind of want to get that different of perspective yeah i thought it was brilliant i love 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 the two characters the way they the way they communicated the way they connected the way that the jason character was totally clueless Mm. to any of his abuses that that was a fascinating perspective he didn't come at it you know any way but it was just okay all that he did was okay he's the victim for me it was an intriguing response because on first glance you think it's just a a comedy about this kind of chaotic interview but the more you look at it the more you realize there is so much of our society and what is wrong with parts of our society in there and it kind of makes it almost an activist piece for me Oh, I agree completely. I think I think the idea that uh, of power and where we get our power and how we exert our power, right? Because this guy, it's all about power and respect mm. and he wants it in ways that aren't earned. And that's a fascinating character. Yeah, there you you do get people who go into the whole career of law enforcement for completely the wrong reasons, simply because they want to be beings of power and beings that like, you don't argue with. No, and, and, you know, listen, there are a lot of great people in law enforcement. We will blanket that and say that. Hmm. But like any career, there are also those eggs that, that yeah. really come at it for the wrong reasons. And sadly, 
I was just looking at statistics in the U.S. I think, let me look at my number, 1,091 people have been shot and killed by police in so far this year in the U.S. Wow. That's a lot. That's that is, a lot. That is a crazy amount of people. It's just, as you say, I mean, Jason is obviously very clueless that what he has done is the wrong thing because he's obviously carrying um, a weapon that he's not supposed to have. So I've got a question about that. In the UK, does that happen regularly that some officers can get a hold of equipment that is illegal? I mean, it is illegal to carry um, non-lethal self-defense weapons like pepper spray. Um, there's no two ways about it. Obviously, Mrs. Davidson mentioned the fact that Jason could have requested that from his superior officer. But then you also get the fact that you can actually um, buy pepper spray on Amazon, which is just crazy in my opinion. That's even before we're getting into guns, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> but I think, I think that is the other key difference as well. I think that's why it is pepper spray and not a firearm because obviously Jason mentions at the end about the territorial army carrying guns right you um, can see how he's escalating right he's looking for yeah. more and more power I think I think the Mrs. Davidson character is fascinating she the actress what's her name Caroline Fantosi okay so what Caroline did was beautiful because she she did that perfect HR, that human resources yeah. you know buy the book buy the book and then slowly she starts breaking down and you see the human who's just absolutely horrified yeah you can see she's genuinely getting more and more concerned not just about you know jason as a as a potential interview candidate but jason as a human being right but i feel that if the writer was so inclined you could expand on that you could follow jason potentially through his life or at least his career to show right. why he thinks things have to be that way um and also whether the actions that he took in that situation um, were justified or not. And if he is potentially prosecuted for that. Because right. we've only Jason's side of the story on what happened on the estate. So Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a long possibility. I think there's a small possibility too. That moment under the car could be its own scene. Which oh, yeah. would be fascinating too. Because if you didn't know anything else... How would we read Jason in that moment? Would we read him as a victim or as, as you know, what he's claiming, the smartest person in the room, how he handled it? You know, it'd be fascinating to see how audiences would react. Yeah, you have the scene that Jason describes to us that he found stressful. But the more you think about it, the more you realize that Jason is not only a person who seeks to abuse power and disregard the rules, and completely ignore health and safety but then he also potentially has lashed out at innocent bystanders because again you've okay. only his perspective on this well yeah and, and it, the way we hear the story here he clearly went in guns blazing for lack of a better term yeah. for a fight he went in for a fight he was expecting that and mm. he got exactly what he went in because my guess is we don't hear how it begins. We just catch him, you know, him talking about being under the car. But I guarantee he was one of the people pushing the buttons to get it all started. Yeah. And it's also he also says about, um, oh, not wanting to go down there and it being suicide. So clearly he's gone in with his own perspective of these people being, you know, um, thugs or inciters of chaos. Right. Um, and that's possibly a huge influence on the way he reacted Right. I can't imagine 
I would, okay, let me start again. I would hope, <laughs> I would hope that he is not popular within his division. I would hope that he is seen as a bit of a moron and maybe that's why he really doesn't have a job anymore. One would hope yeah. that maybe it wasn't PTSD. I would love to believe that someone went, this guy's got to go, right? Yeah. And maybe that's why he's looking for a job, but I'm an optimist. I try, I try to be an optimist. I also have to wonder about how, like, if you go back beyond his CV of community and support officer, has he previously been a security guard and a bouncer? And he's kind of escalated from there. He wants this position of power and authority. And that's yeah. what brought him to this this interview in the first place. Yeah, guarantee it. Guarantee it's been a slow, steady climb that he's just looking for. Right. The the, the army is that next place, right? To have an actual yeah. weapon and is is that next goal and can you imagine this guy can you imagine this guy actually working in a prison system the abuses how he would see himself versus everyone that he is supposedly um in in his charge oh yeah i mean it's, it's, uh, excessive brutality by uh, the police and prison system is something that's all over the press and social media right. and has been for some time Right. And it's that in Jason's attitude that does scare me somewhat because it gives a prime example of what the wrong type of person in a position of authority can do. Well, you hear about in the U.S., we have a lot of people that join the military and we're always grateful for their service and we go through all that. But there are some people that join because they want to fight. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a whole different mindset. That's a whole different outcome. Mm. That's a dangerous, dangerous thing when when the goal is not peacekeeping, no, but actually fighting, right? Yeah, I suppose it's also the whole. Is he's a classic power assertive? He right. He wants to be the. He wants to play the big I am. But you're absolutely right. There is a backstory, right? This guy mm. has to have something growing up that made him feel insignificant, that made him feel small and not valued. There's something that's really interesting in that. That, Well, maybe it was the other way around. Maybe his his father was a police officer and a high, quite a high level one at that. And he was um, an abuse of power kind of guy. And there are, Ooh, some, there are some that do get to the sort of the high level despite being quite awful um in the way they behave and obviously he's well, a lot seen of that growing up right a lot of people are moved in higher positions to get them out of the one they're in yeah exactly so if he's had that kind of growing up with a father figure who is an authoritarian and in a position of authority then that's all he was going to probably want to have done since he was old enough to figure it out sort of thing i think it's a fascinating piece it's interesting as well because um, the playwright Lynn Robinson, when she sent me the script and the information about it, um, talks about the Black Lives Matter movement being a huge influence for the piece, and which again links back around to the whole police brutality, excessive force. We've got George Floyd, we've got Breonna Taylor, all these, all these things that are just horrific in the U.S. and they're hmm. they're not stopping. Yeah, um, they continue. But that's the strange thing. As an audience looking at this on stage or listening to it, you have two moments. You have moments where you're just kind of laughing Jason off as a bit of an idiot who doesn't right. really know what he's doing. Um, but then you also have that moment of realisation of, hang on a second, this guy wants to police the prison population. Right. Um, and he, he thinks he's qualified. He, he yeah. believes he is the guy for the role. Mm. I think guys like Jason, I believe, are the reason they now have psychiatric testing when you want to become a police officer. <laughs> Great. Brilliant. 
mm. you know, what you hope is that there's enough testing there that, that you, you can't, you can't just, uh, scoot by it. Yeah. <laughs> but this guy's, this guy's so brazen about it. He would never pass. I mean, he's, he's coming right out without apologies. Yeah. He's not, he's got no concerns whatsoever about anything he's done. I mean, even when Mr. Davidson points out the fact that he is not supposed to have, um, the spray on his person, he still just sort of dismisses it and goes, yeah, yeah, I know all that. Oh, he's, it's a great character. I mean, it's an interesting, both characters are fascinating. Mm. Like I said, I love, I love the movement of Mrs. Davidson. Just the fact that you just went from one thing and then you started just seeing the human come out, the absolute horror in her voice. And, you know, he's expecting a call at the end of this, which is just, he's expecting to get the job. You want to be a fly on the wall in the staff room where she works after that interview when she walks in and a couple of her colleagues out there having coffee and you say, you will not believe the guy that I have just spoken to. <laughs> Put him on a list. Never yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. Never, never again. No, I think it's a beautiful piece. Like I said, I, I'm with you. There's two levels. There's the humor level. Then there's the horror level, right? Yeah. Where it's just sits with you for a second. And it just, I think audiences will end it with a big breath and just some silence for a little bit. I think there is a moment where you're just like, holy moly, this is, this is, this could happen. Yeah, it, it will, it will resonate. And it has um, with me at least. Yeah, me, me too. The same thing, same thing. No, I think it's a fabulous piece. I'm pretty sure that you and I could sit here and talk about the themes and subtext of that piece literally all day. But unfortunately, we have run out of time. Um, Deb, thank you so much for joining us and completing your triad of roles with theatrical shenanigans. We need to get you a sticker or a certificate, I think. Oh, I need a sticker. I need a badge. I can wear it with pride all day. That would be amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love working with you, Rachel. You're amazing. Thank you very much. It's been absolutely fabulous to have you. And then there was one, that's right, one episode of Theatrical Shenanigans to go before our first season comes to an end. As always though, all of our episodes are on the rss.com page if there is one you haven't heard or would like to listen to again. And if you haven't followed or liked our Facebook page then please do so as that is where we share all of our news with you. In the meantime, I'm Rachel Feeney-Williams, this is Theatrical Shenanigans, bringing down the curtain and saying I hope you can join me next time. Theatrical Shenanigans was an RFW Scripts production, with music written and produced by Chris Cody. 